Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Bet the Board ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with global dining access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. Board presents Stay Green. Stay Green is your first stop for all the metrics, matchups, and money making opportunities at the track each race week. This is Stay Green. The NASCAR Betting Podcast. Here are your hosts, Todd Furman and racing analyst Chris Wormy. Welcome into the Stay Green Podcast, part of the Bet the Board Podcast Network, all distributed on your favorite One Tree platforms. The regular season is complete, and we shift our eyes to the postseason where 16 drivers will vie for NASCAR immortality. I'm your host, Todd Furman, joined as always by professional better and consigliere of sorts, Chris Wormy. And Wormser, I have to ask you the $100 million question that I know all of our listeners are sitting on their edge of their seat waiting for. Did you watch and wager on the Daytona race last Saturday night? <laughs> I watched, but did not wager. I was in Tahoe, and fortunately, there's two sides to Tahoe. There's the nevada side and there is the california side fortunately i was on the california side and didn't have access to any legal books with uh <laughs> with a place for me to bet so i was able to just sit there and watch it uh, albeit with with no sound on i'm pretty sure for the entire bar i was doing the play-by-play -play for everybody as everyone was cheering on the end of stage two thinking that was the end of the race. And I was like, everybody has to calm down. <laughs> There's another stage to go. So it was a great time in Tahoe and, and fun to watch. It was a very entertaining race, in my opinion. Uh, so uh, now that we got the playoffs going, uh, kind of in, in, by the way, starting in one of my favorite tracks. So excited to kind of move past the regular season and, and head towards the playoffs. All I could picture was you in a little rowboat going out in the middle of Lake Tahoe, trying to figure out from a geolocation standpoint, how you could triangulate your yeah, signal, exactly. check that at live and make sure that you were on the Nevada side to, uh, if you thought you actually had an edge sprinting out of the bar, but 
when we look at Daytona, we will get to that in a moment. Again, for those folks just tuning into the Stay Green podcast for the first time, we break things up around these parts. Stage one, what we learned last week, and for this particular instance, may not be all that much that's applicable to the playoff race going forward. Stage two this week, we will do a playoff reset, I'll highlight some of the numbers, and get Chris's take on if he has identified any value to add to your season-long portfolio. And the part where we'll allocate most of our efforts, the Southern 500 this weekend, the race at Darlington goes from 400 miles to 500 miles, and it is one of the crown jewels on the schedule, let alone the first race to kick off the postseason. But for stage one, when we look at Daytona and it ends a busy regular season, Bubba Wallace points his way in, punching his mm-hmm. ticket to the playoffs for the first time. There was no Hail Mary to be found for the nine car of Chase Elliott. No other first time winners sneaking into the playoff field. But I think the lasting image that everyone came away with, whether you were a casual observer or a diehard NASCAR fan, was the multiple barrel rolls for the 41 car of Ryan Priest. We can only thank our lucky stars that he was able to emerge from yeah. that unscathed. Easy for you and I to say, but it's a credit to NASCAR and the safety they've built into these cars over the years. I think that it's really important to recognize the safety that, you know, we... We've seen so many bad wrecks recently. I would say just at these restrictor plate races, you look at Austin Dillon, Ryan Newman. I mean, shit, when Ryan Newman, when they pulled up like that black, like tarp to like cover up after he like hit the, um, the catch fence right kind of there at the start finish line. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then to see him walk out of the hospital the next day with his daughters. I mean, it's easy to point the finger at NASCAR when you have guys like, you know, Alex Bowman or even a guy like Kurt Busch, but they're these cars are really safe. When you look at the grand scheme of things, you have guys that are walking away. Even Ryan Blaney had a really hard hit directly into the the safer barrier, but the safer barrier absorbed a lot of that. So I'm really happy that, that he was able to walk away. That was scary to see. And NASCAR is quick to act. I think that you'll see, you know, with the whatever opened at the top of the car and the, the window net coming down. I mean, I'm pretty sure we'll see some quick fixes, but happy to see Priest walk away. Definitely a scary moment. And Blaney's had a couple of those rough wrecks. So if NASCAR is looking yeah. to try and improve the safety on the car, go right to the 12. Look at some of the SMT data and the impact that we've seen from uh, what yep. Ryan Blaney's been forced to endure. It did not, however, stop him from waiting with an ax to grind with the driver that may or may not have been responsible for that particular wreck uh, this past weekend at Daytona. We also can't bury the lead. It's Chris Busher getting his third victory of the season in the 17 car third win in five races and suddenly RFK a team that we thought was on the cusp of breaking through hasn't just broken through but has all the momentum in the world because under different circumstances pretty sure the six car could have won that race if he wanted to try and push his teammate out of the way but when you're also the co-owner you work together and obviously they come home one two and a relatively dominant finish to the end of the race yeah there was no way I I was sitting with a, a buddy of mine who I was kind of explaining NASCAR. I think this is the first time he'd ever sat down and watched a NASCAR race from start to finish. And I was talking about how, you know, on the last lap, the car that's pushing, is going to pull out and try to make a pass. And so they're kind of coming off of turn, you know, into turn three, he's pushing. They'd kind of separate themselves because there was a lot more racing going on back in the pack. And, and he goes, well, when is Brad, when is he going to pull out to make the pass? I'm like, uh, he's not going to do that. He's like, what? <laughs> I thought you said that he was going to pull out, try to make passes. Like, he actually owns the team and that's his teammate that he's pushing. 
And if he pulls out, there's a chance that there could be contact and then neither of them win. That was not something that I, I thought that Brad Kozlowski, a chance he was willing to take, nor his wallet was willing to take. So <laughs> pretty much an easy coast to victory. And I think there were a lot of teams, especially, you know, like Bubba Wallace, super excited to see someone that has already won and locked themselves in to win again. So we don't have any new winners. And I think that creates a, a great storyline for this 23 XI and, and Bubba Wallace getting into the playoffs. Yeah, pretty wild to see in terms of some guys that we probably wouldn't have thought much about if we were having this discussion in the middle of July in terms of legitimate playoff contenders. But a guy who has really been the model of consistency goes out and does what a lot of us anticipated he would do going into Daytona, wrapped up the regular season title, getting himself 15 playoff points. That, of course, Martin Truex Jr. officially completing a bounce back season where he came up a few points short in the same race last year of getting into the playoffs. Suddenly the 19 has rightfully moved himself to the top of the leaderboard in terms of odds makers expectations for what that car can accomplish over the next 10 races. Yeah, last year he did have a lot of speed when he did not make the playoffs. He just couldn't put together a complete race. I mean, we had tickets on him at long shot prices, hoping that he just had to get in because he was going to be a legitimate threat. Absolutely. And, now I'm and, rooting against him with no exposure. <laughs> I, they've just they've actually transferred over that speed, and I think that they maybe even obviously they have a little bit more speed this year than they even had last year. But to to say that he wasn't a a top sixteen car last year would have been a joke. They just didn't have the finishes. I think he was even maybe top five in points last year and wasn't able to make it just due to all the winners that we had. So this year they're putting together complete races, and I'll tell you what: you give Martin Truex Jr a car that qualifies well and, uh, you know, give him a chance to, to win races. And he will, uh, he's an incredible driver and he's going to, he's the guy to beat. He's had speed everywhere. You know, it doesn't matter which track it is. He shows speed, he shows speed and you need that. Like speed is one thing that you, you can't worry about while you're in the playoffs. That has to be automatic. It's just a matter of, can you put together these little, three race segments and, and get to the finish line and ultimately win at, at Phoenix. And the one thing that we have seen too, in the current playoff structure is that winning the regular season has gone a long, long way in just getting these drivers to the final four in Phoenix. There's not obviously a direct correlation because it's a winner take all type scenario in that final race. But when you have that leg up on the rest of your competition, it affords you the luxury, the deeper we get into the playoffs to have one of those disastrous races and not have it be a death right. nail. So Martin Truex Jr. Has to like his outlook as we move into the postseason, And I think that provides the perfect segue for us to wave the green, white checkered flag on stage one and head into stage two. But before we do so I want to encourage all of you, our loyal listenership, to follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Wormy 15. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there. Most importantly for all things, bet the board, follow the podcast at bet the board pod, especially with football on the horizon. The college football podcast may be live depending on when you listen to this, as we preview a lot of the marquee games for week one, but we mentioned Martin Shurex jr. To start or close stage one, I should say. And we look at stage two and we look at the odds in terms of winning the championship. And just a quick look, obviously it's not quite the same at every book you're going to explore. So as we always do, encourage you to shop around if there's a driver that catches your eye. Martin Truex installed pretty much as the favorite, albeit a short favorite, uh, compared to Denny Hamlin and William Byron. Truex right around 4-1 to one throughout the market. Hamlin and Byron at 5. Kyle Larson drifted out of touch at 7. And that's where things start to get interesting with that so-called value tier of Chris Bell at 12. Chris Buescher, similarly priced. Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, Ryan Blaney, all there. Kevin Harvick, 
Tyler Reddick and Brad Keselowski, 25 to one and no disrespect to the other playoff drivers. I haven't mentioned, but I don't think any of us see a Cinderella run coming from a no. Ricky Stenhouse from a Michael McDowell. And if Bubba <laughs> Wallace showed speed and could put together consistency, you know, yeah. I'll let him prove us wrong. But as you look at some of those numbers, we know you have a little bit of exposure as some of our listeners do as well. Kyle Larson and Kyle Bush, two drivers that we've given out in this show. You and I nibbled a little bit on Tyler Reddick earlier this season, albeit at the exact same number that you can find throughout <laughs> yeah. the market right now at 25 yeah. to one. So we didn't steal a little bit of win equity there. But as you look at some of the drivers that we think are going to be in the mix, it's always the case that one favorite falls off. There's always a surprise driver that doesn't make it through to the round of 12, that doesn't make it through to the round of eight. But when you go through and know the life cycle of some of these futures numbers, is there a driver or two that you're going to keep your eye on or that you would advise our listeners to maybe stay away from and wait for a better opportunity to avail itself? I think there's three drivers that kind of just jump out as potential value. I still think Kyle Larson, seven to one, is going to be good. I Listen, the last couple of weeks or last couple of months of the season, those tracks really don't transfer over to these playoff races. So, you know, I think it's always been a thing for Chad Knauss and, and these Hendrick guys to kind of experiment a little bit. And I, I anticipate that the five and the 24 start showing a lot of speed again. And I know that at Watkins Glen, both of those guys were really fast. I expect that to continue. They're also really fast at Darlington as well. Kansas and then Bristol will be an unknown, but I, I like Kyle Larson at seven to one. The other guys that kind of jump off is Joey Logano at 18 to one. I know we have not seen speed out of this guy, but he's won everywhere. And it'll be interesting if he goes out and wins Darlington. I think you could see a massive shift in his odds uh, just because he's been there and he can win anywhere. And he's obviously won at Phoenix. He's been good at Martinsville. Uh, hasn't been as good at Homestead, but was good at Las Vegas last year, early in the season. So if, if all of a sudden these teams start to come to life, I think Logano's a guy where you could see a little bit of a shift in price. And I'm going to say Tyler Reddick. He's thrown away, in my opinion, two races that that Chris Buescher ended up winning, where at Richmond he um, commitment cone line violation and, and throws away uh, at least a chance of coming out and being the leader after the last set of pit stops, which Busher inherited the lead and takes the win, then does the same thing on pit road with a loose wheel the following week at Michigan. You know, we could be looking at uh, potentially, you know, Tyler Reddick with with three wins at this point, just with if he hadn't had those mistakes. So the speed is in the race car and that's important. So you find yourself at a couple high line tracks where Tyler Reddick excels. Maybe he could win his way uh, in, although it's going to be tough to point his way. I think he is going to have to win. But Tyler Reddick, I think, has a speed in his race car to do that. And I don't want to gloss over the playoff format either. I know sometimes we have people that are tuning in to not just stay green, but NASCAR for the first time as well. And when you look at the playoff format, there are 16 drivers that have the opportunity to win the NASCAR championship. Chase Elliott is the outlier here. You're going to hear them talk about the owner's championship probably more than you otherwise <laughs> would, given the popularity of Chase Elliott and the fact that the nine car can theoretically win, but Chase Elliott can't be the driver champion. After each three-race segment, you're going to eliminate four drivers. So as Worm talked about, we'll see Darlington, Kansas, and Bristol. Four drivers will go by the wayside. So we'll go into the Texas, Talladega, and Roval segment with 12 that are still eligible. After the Roval, we'll eliminate another four. You'll have eight drivers for Las Vegas, Homestead, and Martinsville. And once you finish up at the paperclip, there'll be four drivers left, and it's a winner-take-all type scenario in Phoenix. And to your point, Worm, you mentioned Joey Logano. 
I don't think any of us were talking about the 22 coming into Darlington at this time last year. So it's not necessarily about current form. It's finding speed in your race car and also being willing to adjust on the fly to what you see. Because last year we saw something that I don't think we're going to see again this year. Four straight races where four non-playoff drivers went yeah. out there and grabbed the checkered flag. But the safest way to secure passage round after round after round is to go out there and win races. And you can really rest on your laurels. You win the first race in each phase of the playoffs. It allows you to move your eyes towards that next elimination type race or that next segment. So you're always going to want to keep track. Chris Bell, also the perfect illustration, a driver that won not once, but twice in elimination races to win or get in his odds consistently drifted out to the hundred to one range. So you're going to find opportunities for the majority of these drivers, Martin Truex Jr. Probably the lone exception until we get to Martinsville as yeah. far as prices that may make themselves available. So if you happen to miss these drivers, don't jump into the deep end of the pool and take a short price. We're here every step of the way to try and coach you and guide you into maximizing the most betting value that you're going to find. Go ahead. Buddy. Yeah, to your point uh, that it's about kind of finding speed late in the season. I mean, Tony Stewart, when he won his last championship said his team didn't even deserve to be there. That's how slow he had been throughout the season. And him and Carl Edwards put on a clinic of just dominating races. I think he won half of the, the races and it was the chase at that point. But to your point, you have to be peaking at the right time. And, you know, you look at some of these teams and, did did RFK maybe peak too soon? And in what what have some of these teams that maybe have kind of laid down over the last couple of weeks? You look at the one team in track house, you look at the the five and the twenty-four, some of these teams that maybe just haven't shown a lot of speed lately. I think that they've been working on things. I think you'll see them show speed this week at Darlington. If they don't, because the the five, the twenty-four, and the one all are really, really good at this track. I think that that might spell trouble for them later in the playoffs. But if they come out and unload fast and they're racing competitively, look out. I think that you could see Chastain start to make a move. He has to run better than he is. And I also think the same thing about the five and the 24. The other thing too, and I know we've mentioned it until we're blue in the face, obviously it impacts the way you go about betting into the outright market. But in this day and age, in the next gen car, it doesn't matter how fast you are. There is such a thin yes. margin for error. So you have to be buttoned up. You can have self-inflicted penalties, speeding penalties, too many men over the wall, equipment leaving the pit boxes, or in yep. the case of Michael McDowell, driving through too many pit boxes. Yep. These teams have to sort it out, and it's part of the reason that you've seen a lot of these teams make changes as far as their crews are concerned, and we'll get yep. to more of that when we discuss Christopher Bell and his outlook for this weekend at Darlington. But a lot of interesting things to keep in mind, still plenty of betting opportunities. Look, if you were going to give me a chance to sell out of my position in the five, the 45 or the eight. I'm not going to do it right now. Yeah. I like some of those drivers. Do I wish I had a little bit of Martin Truex Jr. sitting in the back of my portfolio or the 11? You bet your ass I do, but we'll cross the that 24. bridge when we get to it. Yeah, or the 24 for sure. But I think the 24 is a guy that we're going to be able to find opportunities to bet outright in a lot of these races and maybe be able to extract a little bit more value. If his price at Darlington is any indication, more on that in just a moment. So I, I actually think that... <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that Byron and Truex, one of those guys is going to need a great run at Bristol in order to move on. That's my prediction. It's always someone in the top eight that, that tends to struggle. I, I don't think if that's it, that's saying guys something that because that's it. That's the one and two seed. So those guys have a pretty big point. They cushion. have a comfortable lead. 
So they'd have to have not just one bad race, but I mean, I'm not a math major by any stretch when it comes to figuring out NASCAR point situations, but they'd have to have two finishes probably outside the top 30, most likely. They'd have to have an early exit. They'd have to have an early exit where they don't pick up any stage points and kind of come in last where it's just kind of almost a fluky thing. And then it only would take a, you know, a, a penalty late in the race for them to end up with a 20th place points finish. And the next thing you know, it's, they actually, the only way that they control their destiny is by a win. Now they could, they could, they could get in or move on by someone else's misfortune. But I do think that between one of those two guys, because you know, they've run pretty flawlessly all year. William Byron has actually had pit row has been a weapon for him. I mean, they haven't made hardly any mistakes. They've been super fast. So I think that if, unfortunately, I don't know, this is, this is not me. Don't bet this. This is just, I have a feeling that one of these two teams is going to struggle in these first two races. And it might not be because of their own fault. It might just be, they get caught up in something and they find themselves in a must win scenario, or they just don't control their own destiny heading into Bristol. It's always interesting. And look, I know there are market makers that are out there that listen to this podcast. We know the kind of influence that you have as well with your Sunday pre-race poll in terms of influencing some of the betting markets. So for those folks that want to come outside of their comfort zone and get creative, I don't understand in this day and age when you have so many official partners with NASCAR, why we don't have odds available. Yes, no, for drivers to advance each and every phase of the playoffs to try and make things a little bit more interesting. And, you know, you'd be happy to try and take a no price on some of those big guys, hoping that, you know, obviously you don't have a route for Rex, but look, things don't often go according to form. And we've seen it plenty of times when you look at these top 10 markets that even the best drivers don't finish in the top 10, 60% of the time. So if you had the foresight or the ability to bet no's on a lot of these things, you could blindly bet them across the board and have quite a bit of profit margin working in your favor. But the green, white checkered flag officially waving on stage two. And it's on to stage three we go with a full breakdown of the Southern 500 and our second trip to Darlington, South Carolina this year. Last year was the first time in the history of the Cup Series, we mentioned at the top and the playoffs, that a non-playoff driver won the postseason opener. And like we said, the entire first round was swept by non-playoff drivers. It was Eric Jones at Darlington, Bubba Wallace at Kansas, and Chris Buescher winning Bristol. If that wasn't enough, Tyler Reddick took home a checkered flag in Texas. So it changed the dynamic quite a bit. Nickname for this track, the lady in black, the track too tough to tame 1.36 mile egg shaped track. We can give the history of why it's egg shaped because a gentleman that owned property had a minnow pond at one end, did not want to move that minnow pond. So the track designers had to work around that high, 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 high tire wear. You will not see any two tire stops. You will not see teams stay out unless they're trying to get a lap back. And if it's been a two or three lap run is about the extent of it. And as far as track comps, I know we have this discussion all the time, but I feel it serves as a good refresher. Fontana in its old construct that no longer exists, potentially one of the comps homestead, which we haven't raced at just yet. Is there anything else? I know some people say Kansas is a mile and a half high tire where some of the others, are there other tracks that you think, people should be factoring into their equation when they're looking to try and get an edge up on some of these pre-week prices. I think you were right in the Homestead and Fontana. Man, you could throw Kansas in there if you really wanted. Uh, but I really think that this is kind of a standalone as well. Uh, it's There's just nothing else like it. It's really narrow. There's like one and a half grooves. It's really hard to work your way up through the field. But if you have a good setup and you're able to to kind of get 
any sort of momentum off the corner, whether it's off of turn four or turn two, you're able to make a pass in the front stretch or at least drive it in there deep and, and make a pass. But I would say that the the biggest comp is going to be so shockingly uh, just the race from earlier this year. I think that that's really indicative of the the cars and you know in the knowledge that they have with you know last year. So the first time ever in this car, now these teams have learned way more. I would say that earlier this year in the spring is still my number one um, number one track comp or or what I'm using to actually kind of handicap this race. The other thing would just be guys that are good when there's high tire wear. Who's good at managing their tires? Who's good when the car is feeling loose? But you also have to remember that this race is going to start in the day and kind of end in the night. So, you know, the longest one of the longest races of the season, who kind of has who can battle and, and kind of survive is really, really important to to getting a good finish in this race. And just because your car is not handling good early in the day uh, does not mean that it might not come to you at night. So for people that are live betting it, keep that in mind. The good thing is it looks like mother nature will smile upon us expected to be mid eighties and sunny on Sunday, a far cry from folks dealing with some of the uh, fallout from the tropical storms in the area as it's raining currently there on Wednesday, as we record this fine show. One other thing I wanted to highlight before we get into the individual drivers. I mean, there's a reason why five of the last eight races at Darlington have all been won by a driver who's now in their 40s. That includes 13 out of the last 16 races with veterans, Eric Jones wow. and William Byron in the outlier. This is a race, as you mentioned, it's 100 miles longer than what we do in the spring and Labor Day weekend for that throwback. You have to be patient. You have to wait for the track to come to you, and you can't burn up your equipment early. So keep that in mind when you're looking at a lot of the drivers that we're about to dive into. And we'll start with the favorite. He's the same favorite that we had to win the whole thing. It's Martin Truex Jr. at a price shy of five to one. When you look at his current form, three finishes worse, worse than seventh over the last 13 races. But those three tracks, not exactly NASCAR's bread and butter. The Chicago Street Circuit and two super speedways. He finished the regular season with 15 top 10s, nine top fives, had him tied with William Byron for the second best mark in the series this year. And when you look at how he's run at Darlington, don't be fooled by his recent finishes. He's led 914 laps and 22 starts on this track with two wins, four top fives, 10 top 10s, won the pole here in the spring, had an accident on lap 145 that took him out of the mix. And he's actually had an incident, not just the last race, but all three races where he's had a chance to go out there and win a race in the next-gen car. Oh, Martin Truex Jr., buying or selling at current market price. I mean, the other thing, too, is when you look at our show outline, you, you've left off a bunch of other things that he's done. Like, that's how long of a yeah. list of accomplishments he's had at this track. I, I, I've said this kind of all along. This is probably his best track, and he should be the favorite. I think that if you combine his ability to qualify and his ability to kind of just kind of dominate some of these races, you know, he's run, he's run a perfect race here back in 2021. I would say that it, along with his dominant win, you know, back in the past at, at the Coke 600, this was his next best race. And listen, the only downside I have with Truex is his inability to get back to the lead. And we saw this earlier in the spring, he was out there dominating he loses his track position and his car was just way too tight. He he wasn't able to make passes and work his way back up through the field. And we've seen this a few times with him. Now you go to a place like Michigan, which doesn't correlate at all with this track, but he was so fast. But at the end, other cars made better adjustments and he wasn't able to get around Chris Busher when he lost track position. So 
I think that's the only knock you can really have on Truex heading into this week. Otherwise, I anticipate him to be fast and be around there all week. I don't know where his price will go. If he qualifies on the pole like he did earlier in the year, I just I don't see him going much lower than nine to two at this point. So no reason to get involved now. Might as well see him unload and see where they qualify. Not with so many other drivers tightly bunched here in terms of the favorites. And Kyle Larson, the next closest competition, at least on paper. You see Larson's price at 6-1. to one. Just one top five in his last six races, two top tens during that span as far as his current form. His top ten, his, excuse me, his ten top fives, though, are actually the most of any driver during the regular season. However, with the sweet comes the sour, and he's had nine finishes this season of 25th or worse. Hopefully, he's gotten them out of his system when you talk about how every race has a carryover effect in the playoffs. The last victory for the five car came back at Martinsville. As far as his track history is concerned, he's still seeking his first win at Darlington. Obviously had a race-winning car before he got into a dust-up with Ross Chastain in the spring. Last eight trips here, though, he's had seven starts inside the top ten, so it hasn't been track position. He's had to work from the back of the field. Best finish over his last three trips, though, is 12th last September, all in the current next-gen car. But before his recent run of three, we'll call him mediocre efforts, he had four straight top three finishes. When we look at Larson, it's always like the sirens before the boat hits the rocks. Yeah. Six to one. Do we want to back Kyle Larson at a number this short, knowing that inconsistency is probably the word to best describe his 26 race regular season? I'm going to say no. I don't want to back this price. But if he was seven, I would be interested. It's amazing how just that six to one and seven is is such a, a difference maker. I know that he did open at seven on Bet Rivers. I don't think that lasted very long. But Listen, I think you brought up a good point. He has to eliminate these 25th or worse finishes. And, you know, it's just a matter of when he's going to make his mistake, when he's going to go to the rear, because he will do it. If he does it early enough in the race, he's able to drive back up through. But if he does it late, it's going to cost him uh, a lot of points and a shot at the win. Again, another one of his best tracks. You know, I think that you know we, we referred to kind of the spin and win last week with Jeff Gluck and who was able to drive through the field. If Larson had been able to pull this race off and actually win, so if Ryan Newman doesn't bring out the caution and then uh, you know another quick caution and then have the the Chastain Larson dust up, he would have been a guy that potentially spun and won because he went back to 25th place and was able to drive back up through the field really quickly. So I think. You know, there is a handful of guys that can drive back through the field. Kyle Larson is one of them. He's the only guy, maybe Denny Hamlin, are the only guys that can really overcome those mistakes. So I think they have that working for him. But I think I think he can still be a little risky. He can afford to, uh, a few mistakes in his first round because they're probably his best tracks. You have Darlington, Kansas, where he was passing on the last lap, uh, you know, by Denny, who I thought had a little bit better car. And then Bristol is another fantastic track for Kyle Larson. So I'm not worried about him getting through this stage of the, the, you know, this first round, but I don't know that that six to one price with the amount of mistakes that they've had, I'd rather see him unload and make sure he's fast before I get behind him. And Kyle Larson's going to get some additional track time this weekend. He will be driving the 17 car for Hendrick motorsports in the Xfinity series. And so will this gentleman who we is, have, we've grown accustomed to running in the Xfinity series when he goes to Darlington, that of course being Denny Hamlin. If you shop around, uh, I've seen the 11, we'll call it widely available right around a price of eight to one. Some shops a little bit shorter there. As far as his current form, third best average finish of all drivers during the regular season, five top seven finishes over the final seven regular season races. More impressively for the 11, he's led laps in seven straight races. 
even if it hasn't been a lot of laps, he's shown a knack for being able to get to the front. Now it's where things get interesting. When you talk about Denny Hamlin and his track history at Darlington, nine top 10 finishes in his last 13 Darlington starts, including eight that have resulted in the top five. His numbers overall are excellent, has the best average finish of 7.4 at ovals all time at the track. His four wins are the most by an active driver. He did finish here 12th year in the spring in a performance that I think surprised both of us that he was never really in the mix for a win. Five top fives, though, as I talked about in the last eight trips to this track. And when we discuss high tire wear, there are few drivers better than protecting their equipment than the 11 of Denny Hamlin. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Absolutely. I would like to pull the trigger on Denny at this eight to one price. If he just didn't have kind of this rain cloud hanging over him that even on his, of the first race of the year where he struggled and no one saw that coming. Uh, he, and he was fast, obviously going into that, the race, he had just won Kansas and was heading into Darlington. Another one of his great tracks where he, I think he's won this race three times. So, uh, I was shocked to kind of see him unload so poorly. I mean, it was a poor qualifying position. I think his average running position was 14th, which is just shocking for a guy like Denny Hamlin at a, at a high tire wear track. So that's the only thing that has me hesitating. Also, I do think that you're going to see someone qualify better than him. I think that it could be the 24, the five or the 19. If any of those guys qualify ahead of him, I can't imagine Denny Hamlin going off at less than seven to one. So again, let's just wait and see how he unloads because Last in the spring, his practice, he looked like a 12th to 14th place car, and that's kind of what he was all day. So, if we see kind of the same things, there could be a potential to fade Denny Hamlin if he looks similar in his in practice, like he did in the spring. So, obviously, if if there's potential to fade him, there's no reason to get involved at this point. Uh, and you mentioned the 24 next. He's the last driver that will put in this so-called group of favorites. His price has drifted out a little bit. If you shop around, you can find him in a shade less than nine to one. Uh, at a couple prominent books. As far as William Byron's current form, streak of five straight races, a 14th or worse, came to an end over his last two races, one at the Glen and came home inside the top 10 at Daytona. 50% of the regular season races this year ended with him finishing inside the top 10. The 877 laps he led during the regular season was the best in the series, slightly edging out Martin Truex Jr., When we look at overall track history, did win here in the spring, ending an HMS drought that went all the way back to 2012. Five of the last six trips to Darlington have had Byron starting inside the top 10. And as a result, four top eight finishes to show during a six-race span. And when you look at what William Byron has done, three straight races here with a driver rating of 100-plus, and he's collected stage points in every single stage, clearly he's got it figured out in the next-gen car when he's unloading at the track too tough to tame. Well, 
in addition to his speed, I like the fact that they just have minimized mistakes. I think that they've taken a, a page out of Chase Elliott's book from 2022 when he was able to win five races, even though he didn't have the fastest car in five races. I think he's William Byron has had more speed this year than the nine car had last year. You you throw that in and couple that with a lack of mistakes and his pit road or his team on pit road has just been astonishing it's almost a weapon at this point where if you give this 2014 the first pit stall man is he going to win the race off pit road multiple times and just kind of keep it in the top five and you know what happens when you keep it around the top five sometimes you get a guys like chastain and larson to wreck each other and you can just kind of walk to victory lane so i i think that every week william byron is going to be you know is he going to unload the fastest no uh maybe he won't but he's going to qualify well and he's just going to hang around. And I think that that's why he should probably be the favorite to kind of just with the lack of mistakes, he's going to be around. I don't know that he was the best car or even a top five car here in the spring. But again, he was there to take away the win. You know, you couple that with last year in the spring when Joey Logano just punted him out of the way. I thought he had a better car. So he could have potentially have two of the, the, the three wins at this track in this car coming into this race. I think he's going to be strong again. You know, I, I can't see him going off at like six to one. So at this point, I'm just going to wait and see how they unload. Playoff drivers that weren't called favorites, or at least the market doesn't suggest they're favorites, as we start to get into those guys priced at 10 to one or greater. Not going to go in chronological order because we have seen some movement here. So we'll start with the one car, though, of Ross Chastain. 11 to one, kind of the market consensus on the Melon Man current form. Not ideal yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Just one top five finish in the last 14 races. His win at Nashville feels like an eternity ago, and a seventh-place run at Michigan was the only actual result of note since then. You begin to wonder, are they testing for the playoffs and all of their resources go into the 91 car that we've seen on road courses? Did it go to get the 99 to the playoffs that came up just short? Finished the regular season with nine top 10 finishes, has led just 35 total laps since Nashville. But as far as Darlington is concerned, he's led a lot of laps at this track, but is also has a lot of crashes and needs to actually finish these races. 26 laps led, but a crash and a 30th place finish last year. 20th in this race a year ago after 93 laps led and 29th in the spring crash while battling for the win with Kyle Larson. Eventually, if he can keep his car on the track, this is a guy who's going to have a chance to win it. You think this day in the sun could be coming here. Thoughts on Ross Chastain. I love Ross this week. I'm going to go ahead and say that they, that the track house team, the last couple of months have, have focused all of their resources on this 99 team and getting them in the playoffs. And now that that's not a thing anymore, I think they're going to focus all their resources on getting this one team to Phoenix again. And if you look at the last three races in this next gen car, I think that Ross Chastain has hands down been the best. If you look at his fast laps last spring, I know that we're going back to the first race, but he still had 27 fast laps and was able to come into a putrid 30th place. He was able to do that with the second most fast laps of anybody behind Joey Logano. You fast forward to um, to this race last year from the spring, and you see him do it again. He had a, a, another ton of fast laps. He had 49 fast laps, and I think that led the field in fastest laps. I mean, those are really... Um, those are really key metrics to show how good your car is. And it's not like he was off sequence. You don't get off sequence at Darlington where you happen to have tires unless you blow a tire. Right. So uh, I think Ross Chastain is going to be really good. And you look at arguably the fastest car here. He was the only guy that was able to pass Ross or that was able to pass Martin Truex in the spring and kind of caught, I think everyone off guard when he was 
racing Truex for the win. I don't know what the hell happened there in turn three when he decided to check up for the 99 and then Truex gets into him. And here we are sitting with Truex, Larson, and Chastain going, what in the hell did we do wrong to deserve this? But I love Ross Chastain. When he opened at 14, we definitely took a little bit of a swing on him. I still think that he's a, a play at 12 to 1. Now, if they swing and miss this week, which I do not see happening, I think it's an indication that, that Trackhouse has just lost a step to everyone else. But at this point, I think this is a great opportunity for an outright price for uh, a guy that I think will qualify well, and, and I think he will race potentially be the fastest car when it comes to race trim. I actually went back and looked because, I mean, you know me, we all keep meticulous records for what we do. Darlington won, as we'll call it, of the Darlington Spring Race. Because of that, Swing was actually the worst race that I have documented really? for me so far this season. The positions weren't pretty, but it was a double-digit unit swing, and, you know, we're not out here with 30 or 40 units in play most of these races, given <laughs> the position sizes. So when there's a double-digit unit swing, it tells you exactly how things change and the financials that come along with it. So hoping to reverse the curse at Darlington this weekend. Chris Bell in that similar price range as well. When we look at the 20 car, current form, 13 top 10 finishes. About as quiet as you can be, though, in accomplishing that feat during the regular season, mainly because his third place finish at the Glen was his first top five since winning on the Bristol Dirt back wow. in Easter weekend. He did have the sixth best average finish during the regular season, though. And when we look at track history for the 20 car, did have one of the better cars on this track here last year, started third and second, respectively. Had a fifth and sixth place finish. Finnick came home 14th in this race in May. When you look at his five career starts with JGR at Darlington, 14th this past year, fifth, sixth, 20th, and 14th. But Chris Bell has some unfamiliar faces that will be on his pit crew this weekend. Ty Gibbs, one of the best in the business during the regular season. All of those boys will make the migration from the 54 to the 20 team. Well, that's going to that's gotta help him. I think that Chris Bell can't get between, worse in that department. Can't get can't worse. Get worse. I mean, every time that we, <laughs> I pick him to win a race, he's good until he makes a mistake and then he's trash. So uh, in, in everything, all the bad thing that's kind of happened to him, it hasn't really been on track incidents. It's just been everything on pit road. So hopefully this, uh, you know, migration of the 54 team to the 20 team will be, will benefit Chris Bell. But the, the downside to Chris Bell is I don't think he's had a race winning car kind of it all throughout the year you know I know he had a great finish at at Watkins Glen but you know there were other guys that had issues in order for that to him for him to get that finish I just haven't seen him drive through the field like we have in the past now if there is a track where he could do that it will be someone or a place like Darlington where you can get the high line going and and those those guys that are great dirt track racers tend to excel a little bit with that loose race car so I think he's probably properly priced, but if you think Chris Bell is going to win the win the race, how do you think the 19 and the 11 are going to unload? I mean, I think those guys are going to be rocket ships if Chris Bell is the car to beat. So I think that because of that, there's no reason to take Chris Bell at 12 to 1, wait and see him unload. And if he's fast, you know that the, the favorites are going to be the 11 and the 19. You're probably still going to get a good price on Chris Bell knowing that he has uh, you know a top three to five car. He's had what I would probably describe this year as a relatively high floor. Most races that he goes out there and performs, but a low yeah. ceiling at the same time, to your point, Correct. just hasn't shown race winning speed. 
And, and quite honestly, he's become a lot more difficult to bet in some of those head-to-head matchups because he's not racing against second-tier drivers. So if you can't go out Correct. there and win a race, relying on who you're matched up against to try and have a bad Saturday or bad Sunday feels like a leap of faith and one that I'm not quite willing to make in terms of backing him before he unloads. Kyle Busch, his price has been on the drift. We saw him open as low as 10 or 11 to 1, upwards of 14 to 1 right now. Produced a run of seven straight top nine finishes earlier this year. However, over the last seven races, he has three finishes outside the top 30, and he's only led a total of seven laps going back to the Nashville race. As far as track history is concerned, Jeez. he's finished seventh here in the spring. It ended a run of misfortune where he had three sub 30th place finishes before all that ended with engine or accident issues. So it wasn't just that he didn't have speed when he was driving the 18 for Joe Gibbs racing. He had a run of misfortune prior to that though. He had six finishes of seventh or better over a seven race span. I can't figure out Kyle Bush either. My friend, I'm hoping know. that you can provide a little bit of clarity here. Okay, well, let's kind of distill it down. If you look at the high tire wear tracks from earlier this year, I thought that if you go back to the the first race, I thought Kyle Busch was a top five car. And I don't think I can say that about many tracks this year. You can say it about Fontana. You could obviously say it about Gateway, you know, maybe Coda, but I don't know that that much translates. I think that it's really important to take a look at Fontana. And whenever you you have a guy like Kyle Busch, who's an outstanding driver, they usually the cream usually rises at tracks like this. This 14 to one price, this drift has kind of been nice. I mean, at, at what point do we pull the trigger? I mean, it's close to 14 to one just because it, it remember track transition is going to be massive from the start of the race to the end of the race. And Kyle Busch gives some of the best feedback. And if they can kind of hit on a few things and get that car incrementally better at every pit stop. And by the way, there's going to be a ton of pit stops which also scares me because Kyle Busch loves to speed on pit road. So I don't know if that's a benefit or uh, you know, a negative, but he's still 14 to one going into a place where I think he runs well, but again, the mistakes in the, he's just got a high beta. He's either really fast or really bad. And by the way, if I swear every time that he's had an incident, his car is ruined and he just quits. And I'm those... not sure his car is always ruined. It just may be Kyle doing what Kyle's a just... six year old does on an elementary yes. school playground going, you know what? I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle just takes his ball and goes home. It doesn't matter what it's like. No, no, it's just cosmetic. No, no, it's trash. It's done. And he just kind of takes it to the garage in a very pouty manner. And then he gives a terrible interview and just, he's already on a plane before the race is over. He's headed home. I, I don't like that, especially as someone that's holding a, a massive future ticket on him to win the, the playoffs, but, or the chase or the, the chase, the playoffs. I was right the first time you can call it, you can call it whatever you want. We don't have, I just think what, what Kyle's needs is just solid runs with, you know, if he has a chance to win, you know, one race, you know, out of every three, he has at least race winning speed. I think he'll be just fine, but that's been a lot to ask. And I think he'll, he'll do well in this first round, but you know, I, I just don't think the speed has been there. And in a place like uh, Darlington, you might not need the speed, but you're going to need the handling. And I don't know that that's been there either. It's still Kyle Bush. 14 to one's a pretty decent price. If I would not talk anyone off that bet, if they were interested in that. Do you see the biggest news though, uh, relating to Kyle Bush that came out earlier this week? His brother retired. Oh, well that too. But I mean, that's not, that's irrelevant to the track. I mean, you can understand why Kyle Bush could be a little bit frustrated. He put his multi-million dollar home on sale there, you know, him and the family are moving. So I figured you'd be, you know, top of the list to try and put your bid in 
to buy what looks like a house that, uh, I mean, closer to a castle than anything else in lovely Denver, yeah. North Carolina, I, wherever the hell it where is. Where are they moving? Uh, I think just closer to the race shop. I mean, oh. RC, RCR is way the hell out there. So maybe they're moving closer okay. to where they need to be. Um, if, I mean, if I'm Kyle though, and I had that bankroll, I'd probably keep multiple houses though. Just yeah. To- What's it? He like struggling to make, make his mortgage payment. Like he can't have two places be a hell of an Airbnb. He should do that. <laughs> maybe try and set it up, especially if there's a dirt track and you provide go-karts, it would be an outstanding experience. Yeah. And uh, if you decide you want to try and race Brexton in late model out in the backyard, you uh, take full advantage of that. All right. Uh, a driver though, that does drive a Toyota still currently who was a former member of RCR, who we have seen his number actually shorten this week would be Tyler Reddick. And a very prominent book has his number as low as nine to one to win the race. Wow. When we look at Reddick's current form, four top 10 finishes over his last seven races, seven top fives this season, largely because of the inconsistency that you mentioned, hasn't been a consistent finisher with a ton of self-inflicted wounds that have been plaguing race-winning race cars. When you look at his track history, though, with second and third, respectively, here a year ago, so he's got the finishes yeah. in the next-gen car when the speed is there. A 22nd place finish in May felt like a little bit of an outlier for where he should be. When you talk about high tire wear and the high line coming in, the last five races here, though, he started no worse than 10th. Qualifying has definitely been on the side of Tyler Reddick. I think he has a ton of value heading into the playoffs from a, a championship perspective, but this price is pretty short. Uh, <laughs> like again, like again, I'm going to keep referencing this. I think the five, the 24, and the 19, and probably the 11 are going to are going to be the favorites going into this race. So I don't know why you'd want Tyler Reddick at this nine to one or 11 to one price. You know, if you had someone at more like a 15 to one price, I would say that that's uh, a little bit more indicative of of where his his price should be, or at least a bettable price should be. He has thrown away two potential wins. I think his biggest knock is he has struggled on road courses, but you know what? There's only one of them in this, this playoff run and he's at least consistent there. So if he does find himself moving along and needing uh, something productive or at least, or even a win at, at the Roval, I think he can pull it off. I just don't know this week if this is the spot where he gets it done. Uh, he's just, he's had speed, but they just can't get out of their own way with these mistakes. He's kind of got a little bit of that Chris Bell in him. Or, as a matter of fact, it's almost all the Toyotas with the exception of, you know, I guess Gibbs and in Truex, everyone else has just struggled on pit road. So I think you'll see, uh, Reddick at times be the best car, but I still don't think he's like a nine to 10 to one best car at this point, or at least at, at at this point in the week, because I don't see his odds uh, getting reduced at all. I think you'll see him. If anything, you'll see him float up a bit. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. This portion of the program is going to take on a very Ford flavor as we run through some of those guys driving the 
blue bow tie. No, that that would be the sorry, blue the blue bow tie. The blue, oval. The blue bow tie is Chevrolet. So it tells you how many, how many podcasts have you done today? Uh, this is actually the first. So the fact oh, okay. that I'm already running on fumes probably ain't great. Ask me again in three weeks when we start to get into the peak of football season, then you'll have to be the one to keep me sane. Kevin Harvick, 20 to one current form, five top tens over his last seven races, despite not having race winning speed, honestly, in any of those races, Mm -mm. 12 top tens so far this season problem for the four car. He's led just 122 laps so far this year. And 14 of those actually came last weekend at Daytona. Didn't of course sound overly optimistic about his chances to (laughs) drop the mic and go out on top of the sport in his post-race interview at Daytona. But when you look at how he's performed at Darlington, 12 top, excuse me, finished second here back in the spring, 14 top 10 finishes in his last 15 starts, including nine of the last 10 resulting in top six finishes. And he's led a robust 755 laps in the 14 starts he's made here as a member of Stuart Haas racing. Well, if it, if the playoffs weren't starting with these tracks where Kevin Harvick was so good, if they started, if let's just say it was Fort Worth or, or Dallas or Texas, um, Talladega and Charlotte, I think that he would just kind of cash it in. Like, I, I just think that he's just kind of <laughs> lost it. I mean, the negativity after last week, he's been a bum on these recent tracks. And, and I just wonder, you know, SHR as a whole is just massively struggling. They, I, I imagine that the whole, just the, the business infrastructure, I feel like isn't there. Uh, the, the speed in the race cars isn't there. You know, Harvick is obviously the most talented guy out there, one of the most talented guys to ever do this. But here's what I think is going to – I can tell you how Kevin Harvick, Kevin Harvick's week is going to go. He's going to qualify like 12th to 16th, and he's not going to have a ton of speed on short run or long run. But I'll tell you what, he figures it out. I think he can kind of work his way into the top five by minimizing mistakes, taking advantage of other people's mistakes, and just being a veteran driver. There's a reason why, you know – what 13 of the last 16 guys have been over 40 years old. That's because you actually need to be a wily vet to get around this place. You're racing the track a lot of the times and not necessarily uh, the other cars. You know, you're, you're sitting there saying, Hey, I'm going to give up a 10th or two on this first 20 laps, knowing that I'm going to gain, you know, even more like two tenths every lap. If I can just conserve my tires. So I do think that he'll end up with a good finish. I just don't know how he gets there. 20 to one is interesting, but I, Again, he's only really driven to the lead one time this year, and that was at Phoenix, and that's an entirely different animal. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't hate Kevin Harvick outright, but I don't think that price is going anywhere. You mentioned Wiley veterans, and uh, I think Brad Keselowski falls into that classification as well. Clearly, RFK has been on the uptick. Brad, not able to find his way to victory lane just yet like his teammate but what's interesting about the six and the 17 when one runs well it seems like both run well as long as they don't get collected in wrecks and when you start to talk about brad's history at this track sunday will mark his 20th start at darlington 10 career top 10s and five top five finishes with an average finish just inside the top 12 he also has three career polls to his credit Finished fourth here back in the spring, honestly, before RFK started to find yeah. consistent speed, and he picked up stage points in both stages. So it wasn't strategy laid or anything unusual that he came out of nowhere to get right in the thick of things. It was actually the first driver rating he'd amassed at Darlington since May of 2020. And when you look at the six, three top seven finishes in his last four trips here, Brad Keselowski also has seen his number on the move, opened with a similar price to Kevin Harvick, but he's come only one direction, and that's down. 
Yeah, I, I like Brad this week. I think that this is his best opportunity to win. I think it's between here and Bristol when it comes to all of the races in the playoffs here. Listen, his price has come down, and I think that it's for a couple reasons. Number one, just RFK in general has just shown speed, right? The, the, his team has won three of the last five, albeit it hasn't been him. It's been his teammate, but... Uh, I, I think that they're also Brad has really set himself apart at this particular track from his teammate and Chris Busher. RFK was was not did not have a ton of speed earlier in the year. And you had Brad K mixing up in the top five. Meanwhile, you had Chris Busher riding around 24th. I think that was his average running position for that track. So for two cars that typically run right next to each other, at least similarly, for for Brad to be that much better really shows his talent and his ability at this track. I think that there's a reason that his price has, you know, gone from 20 to one down to 16 at some places. Uh, I, I expect Brad to run well this weekend. If you expect Brad to run well, do you expect the same of Chris no. Busher, who finds himself at 20 to one? Busher, one of six drivers with multiple wins and his three wins this regular season, have him tied with Kyle Busch and Martin Truex, second Gosh. in the series with an average finish this season uh, of just outside the top 12. We talked about him being the hottest driver. Finished 10th here back in the spring. Three top 10s over his last five trips, but no finish better than ninth. Stage points just once in his career at this track, and he has actually never started a race at the Lady in Black inside the top 10. I mean, if you were to tell me at the beginning of the season that Chris Busher would be fourth in points, two points ahead of Kyle Busch, 10 points ahead of Kyle Larson, or no, two points ahead of, uh, Kyle Bush and four points ahead Kyle Larson, I would have been shocked. And oh, by the way, he would have won three times the same amount of times as Truex and Kyle Bush. Listen, it's hard to take anything away from this guy other than he just hasn't performed at this track very well and, and not especially not as good as his his teammate. Now that that doesn't necessarily mean that he's gonna be way worse than his teammate, but I do think that that Brad Kozlowski will probably outrun him this week. Busher's just struggled here, but he's also struggled at other tracks and has definitely made a turnaround. Listen, you, you, there's speed in the race car, so I like that, but he just doesn't have the finishes. And this is one of those places where you either have it or you don't. And at this point, Chris Busher has shown me nothing um, in, in his driving style that says that this is the type of track where he's going to be successful. So at this point, he's still kind of on a fade list for me, but um you know, I could I could be I could be surprised just because of the speed in the race car, uh, just at RFK in general. But twenty to one is a really short price for him at a track where he just doesn't perform well. I, I would say I'd be shorting him if anything. It sounds terrible to say because I would pick on anybody else who used this line when it comes to the do factor, no matter what sport you bet. But it feels like Chris Busher is running so well; he's due for something to go wrong. And NASCAR, we know that often is the case. Caught it's not like you breaks. suddenly w wave a magic wand and get things to go the right way for you. Uh, but Chris Busher has been in the right place at the right time in a lot of these races. And some of it, or a lot of it, is a credit to his talent and having speed in the race car. We'll see if he can sustain some of that over the course of 500 miles at the high tire wear track. And before we close the book on the Fords, a pair of Penske teammates, Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano, very similar price range. As far as Blaney's track history here, ninth year in the spring after starting 11th, one of his best finishes uh, over the last eight races, he's had a top 11 starting position in seven of them, but the last four races here failed to generate a driver rating above 92. Meanwhile, Joey Logano on the other side, the last seven trips here, he's finished inside the top eight five times, 
Average finish during that span is better than eighth. Started both races from the pole last year. And that's one thing we've seen with the 22 this year. Even when he doesn't have long run speed, he's been able to put together a tremendous lap. And when I look at these two drivers with similar prices, for me, Worm, I'm much more likely to buy the 22 at the oh, current absolutely. price than I am the 12. That being said, I'm not sure I'm running to buy either of them pre-week. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. I like Logano more than I like Blaney. Here's the difference. Blaney, I thought, had a better car in practice last uh, in the spring. However, that didn't necessarily mean it was going to be a great finish for him. I think Logano, I don't, where did he finish? Uh, I Listen, Logano's just one of those guys where when you're, when you're running well, like he's always going to be right there. And, and I'm not talking about when you look up in the mirror, let's just say you're leading the race. All of a sudden Logano out of nowhere, when it comes to like the last, you know, 25% of a race, he just kind of finds himself in the top five. And a lot of that, you know, credit to his crew chief and Paul Wolf, who I think is kind of one, one step ahead of everybody, but man, he just has been non-existent. And I just, I don't anticipate him, uh, just all of a sudden breaking out. I think that the Fords have struggled a little bit with the exception of RFK. I think you can include that in the Penske camp as well. Moving on to Ryan Blaney. I mean, just, just this anomaly that we saw at the Coke 600 where he just went out there and blew the doors off of everybody. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that either one of these guys is all of a sudden just going to show a ton of speed. If you just look at some of the races that we have in the playoffs, you look in, in last year, they were great at Phoenix and they struggled this year at Phoenix. So I don't think it's the same team that they were last year. I think it would be an incredible run to see him go ahead and win the championship. But without that speed, I think that they have to have some concerns. They're going to have to get creative, think outside the box on how to get some track position, and then they have to keep it. <laughs> So I, I don't know. I'm not high on Penske this week, although I, I'm higher on Blaney this week than I would typically just because I thought he was good in practice and felt comfortable in his car. Although I like Joey Logano more, he just tends to find himself in the top five or the top 10 later in the races. He's just a, a, a wily vet at this point who can get it done anywhere. But neither one of these prices has me excited. Bubba Wallace, uh, the final playoff driver we'll touch on. For those folks who are waiting for a deep dive on Ricky Stenhouse or Michael McDowell, I'm sorry to play spoiler. Neither one of those, in my opinion, will factor into race-winning vehicles. Famous last words, so run out and bet them both at prices of 200 to 1 or greater. Bubba, price right around 30 to 1-ish, thereabouts. Pointed his way into the 16 seed when you look at his track history. Finished fifth year in the spring. That was a stretch of races he was in where he had three straight top five finishes. Back-to-back -back top 10 finishes here, but in the eight previous starts, hadn't finished better than 16th as a member of 23XI or Richard Petty. Is this a spot where Bubba can go out and surprise? Well, I think he can beat expectations. I don't know that he can go out there and surprise us and win the race. I thought that he held on pretty well last at this race in the spring. I know that he didn't have the finish that he probably wanted as his average running position was a little bit better than his finish, but what a great run He qualified second. And I thought he held his own, uh, definitely hanging on to second place. And there were only a few cars that were able to kind of pass him under green flight conditions. And the other thing that Bubba did really well, and I think he deserves a ton of credit is he, it was his playoff spot to lose. And we were coming into two road courses and then Daytona. And he did everything he needed to do in order to get these finishes. And I think he deserves a ton of credit. I think it shows a little bit of maturity out of him. He didn't get pissed off when bad things happened. He just put his head down and drove the damn race car. And I, the more that Bubba Wallace just puts his head down and, and drives the race car and doesn't worry about everything else that's out there, 
I think he's going to be better off and he has to have some confidence or at least a little bit going for him, knowing that he held onto a spot when guys gunning for him at places where they're typically better than him. And if he can take that same mentality and actually have a race winning car or at least a top five car, I think that he could do some damage and we have some tracks where he's good. I think that Darlington has to be a strong point for him based on his performance earlier in the year. I think that Kansas also has to be a strong strong suit for him. I think he can go out there and score a lot of points. I don't know if he can win the race, but I would be looking to maybe back him in matchups if the price is right. I don't want to be an elitist here. So we've talked mainly about playoff drivers, but we did see four straight races last year in the playoffs when they started one by drivers on the outside looking in. So as far as non-playoff drivers, Chase Elliott, obviously going to be formidable because they're not going to throw in the towel with the owner's championship in the mix. I feel like anytime you go to Darlington, you have to mention Eric Jones, but any drivers that you feel outside of the playoff 16 that are worth discussions uh, that you're going to be looking at either as drivers that you want to bet on or drivers you want to bet against. Well, I will say this. I, Chase Elliott can't be that bad. I know that you, you brought up a good point that we're probably going to hear more about this driver's championship uh, or the, the owner's championship more than we ever have just to keep the Chase Elliott fans excited. I mean, you get, you're talking about the, the most popular driver not making it into the playoffs. So they're going to definitely hype up this this owner's points deal, which is great. I mean, that's how the owners are paid. So it is really important. So I, I can't imagine they're going to roll over. This 18 to 1 price is not a bad price on Chase Elliott. If they just, you know, keep the 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 mistakes to a minimum, he's going to have fast race cars. You know that the 5 and the 24 are going to be fast. You, you can't imagine that he's going to be in all that a different equipment. It's just, a, and it would be fitting if, if he went out there and just won like four or five races in the playoffs <laughs> after not making it and not winning a race all year. I could see that being just a great story. But, uh, you know, 18 to one's not bad. Anyone that's interested in Chase Elliott or wanted to make an argument for that, I'm not going to scare them away. When it comes to Eric Jones, I thought about fading him. I think we did try to fade him earlier in the year here. And even though I think the bets won because he got caught up in a little bit of an issue. Uh, I think he finished 25th. Uh, he was better than most of the cars that we faded him with. So I don't think he's going to win the race. I still think Eric Jones is way overvalued at this point in the week. But just because I don't think he's going to look good in practice, I don't think he's going to qualify well, he's just going to race way better than where he qualifies and where he practices. So because of that, I'm not going to fade him, but I'm also not going to jump on it and support him uh, in any matchups or, or an outright price for that matter. We did fade him in two head-to-head matchups earlier this year at Darlington and actually split him. We faded him with Ty Gibbs, laid a price on Ty at minus 105, and actually bet Austin Dillon against them right around plus Yeah, Dillon got caught up. So Dylan got caught up there in a race car that was significantly better. So keep that in mind when you look at that uh, pricing. Obviously, you'll see the market in flux compared to what those spring odds were versus the fall race. You can follow Chris on X at Chris Wormy 15. You can follow me there as well at Todd Furman. Most importantly, for all things Bet the Board, you can follow the podcast at Bet the Board Pod. And Worms, we've run long. It tells me how much you love this fine racetrack at Darlington. But after all of the information overload you've heaped on the shoulders of our loyal listeners, what is the most actionable element that you found to get us to the window with some of these pre-week prices? Well, it's going to be a matchup. And we're going to back our boy Kevin Harvick against Chris Busher. Uh, I think the price right now is minus 120 on FanDuel, minus 130 uh, at the Canby shops. Obviously, make sure that you're always shopping to get the best price. But I, I certainly think that, that Harvick 
I don't care how he looks in practice and qualifying. He's going to race well. And uh, if, if there's a, a track where he can win, I think that this is one of them. I think Kansas and, and, and also Bristol. So if they can get a little momentum going and get that fire going under Kevin Harvick, I anticipate him to, to actually surprise people with how far he makes it in the playoffs. But, you know, I, I think that also Chris Buescher struggles. I think that he's a little bit overvalued. He's won three of the last five races. I cannot believe those words have come out of my mouth that Chris Buescher has won three of the last five races. I did not see that coming. I know he's a talented guy, but this is a track where you just have to spend a lot of time there. And I could see Chris Buescher, uh, you know, I think a 15th place run would be good for him here. I think that Kevin Harvick, you know, kind of runs in six or seven spot. I like this price uh, right now. And and I, I don't know that it moves much, but I certainly think that Kevin Harvick beats Chris Buescher this week. Quick follow up there on that matchup. If Harvick goes out there, doesn't qualify well, practices eh, highly mediocre and the price drifts out because we've seen it before against Kevin Harvick. Would you be willing, and I hate to say this, but I'll say it anyways, to almost back him blindly in this head-to-head matchup, even if he has a car, at least on the surface, that doesn't look like it has that much speed, knowing that they're going to have a ton of time to make this car better given the length of this particular race? He's probably the only guy I would bet blindly just because I know Rodney Childers is, is awesome on the pit box. And Kevin Harvick is just, it's amazing what he's done at SHR this year relative to, to his teammates. So uh, he's the only guy that I, I just think will run well. Now, I don't think he has a race winning car, but if you just had to pick a guy that's going to get a good finish or work his way up through the field, it's Kevin Harvick. I just hope he hasn't quit. I don't think he has that in him, but certainly uh, the, the comments he's made uh, over the last couple of weeks, and he's been pretty much non-existent, especially in these road courses. It's almost like he didn't even care, but I think he's going to ratchet it up for the playoffs. Darlington's a great track for him. You need to just, you need to have been there a bunch. And I think that the transition from, from day to night, I think that you'll start to see Kevin Harvick just slowly pick off spots and and work his way close to the top five. Something that I had to ask because uh, it's so important when you look at some of these drivers that even if they don't have race winning machines, they may still offer upside and opportunities knowing how quickly the market can react based on some of the practice times that we will see. All right, my friend, so it starts the 10 race stretch until we crown a champion. Obviously, some of these tracks much more bettable than others, and we'll be with you every step of the way. And Sunday, hopefully early-ish in the day, I'm not quite sure what time you have your pre-race pull scheduled for on the holiday weekend. We'll try and get something up on the site when the markets start to pop before these numbers move a little bit too far. Uh, So encourage you to check out the Bet the Board podcast website. Any final words of wisdom, parting shots, wisdom that you would like to share with our loyal listeners? No, I, I just them? think that the, these first three races are great betting races. You, you're going from Darlington, one of my favorites, to Kansas, I think another very bettable race, to uh, and then a fun race at Bristol. It's always nice to see him back on concrete and not racing in the dirt. So I'm excited. This has been great. And now I think we really see what teams have. Not that, not that I think there's been any sandbagging, but there's certainly no reason to be good at the last 10 races. Uh, so I don't think that teams have maybe tipped their hand uh, quite as much. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys unload. The only sandbagging that takes place is you in a big money game at the golf course, much like oh, Billy yeah, Walters, baby. highly chronicled <laughs> in his autobiography. So, no kidding. <laughs> best of luck to all of you, our loyal Stay Green listeners. Make sure you're checking out all of the great content we're producing at Bet the Board Pod throughout the fall. College football, NFL, best bets galore. 
plenty of ways to give you plus EV positions to build those bankrolls before we get to the final four at Phoenix. For Chris Wormy, I'm Todd Furman with a Kevin Harvick head-to-head matchup over Chris Busher. Take it in hand. Hopefully, we'll see you at the window. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Bet the Board ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondry Plus and Apple Podcasts. But before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondry.com slash survey.